Southern Skies. Online Media. Playing Crazy Down Under's coverage of the 2013 Australian International Air Show is proudly sponsored by Jet Ride Australia, Oz Runways, Red Baron Adventures and Sennheiser. In conjunction with Avplan, a classic flight bag, Eco 2000 and World Flight Planner. Well, good day, folks, and welcome back to Playing Crazy Down Under, episode 107 of the program that looks at the world of aviation from an Australia-Pacific point of view. And uh, finally, uh, catching up on some sleep after Avalon, I'm Steve Fisher, and joining me as always, Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Have you caught up on your sleep yet? Oh, heck no. I got back from Avalon and fell straight into the day job, didn't I? Oh, Absolutely dear. flat out. No time to rest. I've got stacks to do. But, you know, what's new? <laughs> what's new? Well, now, Grant, uh, you may have noticed that uh, between uh, this Avalon series and the previous one, we didn't call them quick casts but uh, I think uh, that's for a good reason because we don't know how to make a quick podcast but uh, I think we're going to do that this time. This time we're going to do a special concentrating on the uh, imposing presence at uh, this year's Avalon of the C-17s. That's right mate. Uh, The Australian Air Force actually put three C-17s on the tarmac at one point. There were three RAAF C-17s plus uh, the one from uh, Hawaii for the uh, United States Air Force. The USAF one was putting on a demo for a while then it had something go spoing so the Aussies got out and put on a bit of a demo as well a couple of days so yeah it was great uh in fact i actually uh, spent a little bit of time hanging out of the top hatch of the uh usaf c17 enjoying watching uh the f-22 raptor do its thing and looking across the ramp back into the keyhole and around the area where a lot of the combat jets were as well a lot of fun that wasn't a bad spot to enjoy the show actually now uh, grant while you were over there on the uh, the u.s air force c-17 you recorded an interview with uh, the pilot there captain brian Karen. that's right we uh, had a quick chat about the interoperability of uh, the usaf and the raf with their c-17s because aside from the fact that our ones are a little newer than a lot of the usaf ones having been the ones at the end of the production line they're pretty much interchangeable and uh, the guys actually go through common training and uh, quite often work together at shows and also on uh, missions so yeah we had a bit of a chat about interoperability fantastic mate well that'll be coming up a bit later in the show Uh, we were also very fortunate to uh, be given a uh, tour of uh, one of the uh, royal australian air force c-17s and in this episode uh, you'll hear uh, warrant officer paula marshall uh, show us uh, some of the uh, interesting features of that uh, cavernous cargo space and that that aircraft it uh, certainly dwarfs the Hercules that I was uh, riding on only a few months earlier. We also talked to uh, Sergeant David uh, Everett. He talks about uh, maintenance and all the sorts of uh, things he's had to learn uh, transitioning over there from his previous career working on the Caribou. But uh, Grant, I think we'll kick this off with uh, the pilot uh, from the Royal Australian Air Force of uh, that particular aircraft, and that's Flight Lieutenant Dirk Taylor. We're currently on the flight deck of a C-17 and uh, we're sitting here with Flight Lieutenant Dirk Taylor and uh, Dirk's going to run us through uh, some of the systems up here. Yeah, how you guys going? So pretty much as you see it, C-17 cockpit right here, um, fortunately some of the uh, stuff's all powered down. We uh, we don't have the IUs up so uh, that's why it's got no taxi there but um, otherwise uh, we've got four uh, PFDs or primary flight displays showing you a variety of information. We've got um, I'll cycle through uh, this one here, showing you we've got the um, primary flight display, which uh, generally comes up with uh, your standard blue and brown. It's a sky and sky and ground when it's uh, up and running. And then cycling through that, we've got uh, your map pages. 
Um, there's an old flight plan coming into into here that's still in there. And then moving across, we've got your TCAS page, which is um, or PPI, uh, primary position indicator of other aircrafts, um, and various displays of uh, of that in there. Moving across, you've got uh, some engine pages. Just shows you your uh, engine tapes going through. Um, you've got N1, N2, EGT, and fuel flow gauges there, and some oil pressure bits in there. And across to the uh, configuration, so that's shown. Um, we've got the flaps down with the uh, slats out. Gears all green, which is a good thing. And uh, we've got just the uh, rudder being deflected there. It's about 20, 25 knots outside, so it's just. Um, blowing in the wind or cocked off with the wind. Um, apart from that we've got the HUD which uh, shows your primary flight display in front of each uh, each pilot here and uh, that's pretty much the primary reference uh, when we're flying and the auto, autopilot panel uh, right there. Um, the rest of it's pretty much uh, pretty much standard standard sort of setup like an airliner and, and uh, standard FMS and that's about it. Very much a Boeing. Pretty much yeah. Um, I guess uh, Points of note, we've got the uh, stick uh, control as opposed to a uh, control yoke. Preferences either way, but I actually uh, really and really like uh, flying flying with the stick. Uh, it's uh, I find it easier, and um, this aircraft is actually very responsive. It's very agile and uh, quite manoeuvrable, and the uh, the stick just makes it you know that much more worry. Um, so yeah. No, no wonder you see them doing demos by throwing it around the sky like a rather large fighter. I mean, it, they're holding onto a fighter type pilot stick. Yeah, exactly. And um, the uh, flight control system on this is uh, is quite exceptional. They've they've done a really good job. You probably notice uh, if you see a flying flying display of one of these or see one flying around when you go into a hard turn or uh, or any sort of turn, the roll rate's actually really uh, really quick and um, quite responsive. And that's purely uh, due to the fact that the down going wing deploys uh, spoilers up the top so it just dumps the lift off that wing and um, yeah, it's quite responsive that way. You also have your flaps uh, working for you as well and uh, you've got the ailerons which, uh, which are quite responsive there and the aircraft loading or G loading is a lot higher than, than normal transport aircraft so uh, it allows you to throw it around a, a bit more as well. I note that you've got uh, the uh, the throttles here. You've got the normal way you'd expect to see the quadrant, but at the you've also got a set of the throttles at the back. It's almost as if somebody's sitting back here, reaching in to move the move the throttles. Why why have you got such a, a long throttle quadrant like that? Yeah. So um, as you can see, uh, the uh, the throttles all the way back. It's uh, currently in uh, in reverse, so full reverse at the moment. When they're uh, out of reverse, which is all the way up up the top um, up here. A normal idle position. Some people sort of bring it back from there and then transfer their grip to there. Just helps in lifting it up and bring it over that gate to bring it into reverse. So that's all that's there for. Sort of like uh, it, it takes your hands off and around it, like a, like you're doing the thrust reverses on a commercial airliner, where you actually reach over the front of the throttles to pull them up. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. So it's it's there. Uh, you don't have to use it, but um, each to their own. Everyone has their own preferences. Yeah. Now, uh, I noticed Steve uh, was looking at the uh, autopilot and I think he's scratching his head trying to figure out there seems to be an extra button on there. Yeah, well, one of the, uh, one of the cool feature, features about this uh, autopilot system is uh, this button right here, split axis. So um, 
I don't know about you guys, but you know, I used to have nightmares learning to fly uh, a circling approach, you know, VOR going, you know, got to maintain MDA, can't lose any height. Well, when you get down to uh, MDA, autopilot kicks in, you're, uh, you know, in out hold. And to circle for the runway, if you hit that button, it'll hold your speed, it'll hold your altitude, and allow you to use a stick just to fly the aircraft around uh, to position yourself on final. So once you're happy and you're on profile on finals, disconnect the autopilot, auto throttles, and, uh, and land. Simple as that. So it takes, uh, takes care of maintaining height for you and uh, flying around. Excellent. I wish I could have that when I'm flying most aircraft. That would be very handy. It's a pretty impressive kit, uh, amazing aircraft, and uh, very like carries a huge load, very nimble. Uh, now, have you done, uh, do you folks do the, uh, the tactical approaches like we've seen the um, Americans doing here? Yeah, we uh, learn tactical approaches and departures on course. And quite interesting, your, your very first flight in the aircraft, well, going back a uh, bit of history, you do um, your whole conversion course in the sim um, and your first flight for real in the in the aircraft is a, uh, a, a full profile so what I mean by that is a uh, tactical departure into descent into low level do a low level nav and then you come back for a tactical arrival and then for circuit so you're pretty much doing everything on your first very first flight in the aircraft it's uh, pretty cool and is the sim full motion it is yeah it's um, it's a uh, level level D or Cat Five uh, sim, um, yeah, it's it's pretty good piece of kit. Yeah, sounds pretty impressive. It is, yeah. It's very uh, representative of how the aircraft actually flies. It's uh, quite close, quite close to it. So we've gone through the systems here. We've talked about flying it, doing the sim, the tacticals, things like that. And uh, something that's quite interesting and is out this window over here on our right, an easy view from up here, is a, a smaller, slightly older. Uh, battlefield airlifter of uh, the absolutely beautiful kind. It's a caribou. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. You got the uh, caribou there. Um, brief background. I used to fly caribous. Um, my first posting, of course. Um, absolutely loved it. Great aircraft and uh, great trips away. Took me to a lot of places I wouldn't normally see around Australia. So I feel, uh, yeah, quite privileged to have flown them. And um, yeah, it gave me the opportunity to see pretty much most of Australia, almost all of Australia, and uh, you know, gave me the opportunity to go to places I wouldn't normally go to, up through PNG and uh, around through the South Pacific, even across New Zealand. So yeah, got fond memories of the uh, of the old girl. Yeah, those uh, big old radials have got a beautiful sound, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. Seeing one of those flying uh, next to the uh, the old um, Iroquois and uh, Hueys. Um, pretty good yeah <laughs> bring back a lot of memories yeah, yeah absolutely okay Dirk thank you very much for coming on the show really appreciate you taking the time to run us through the systems no worries thank you for having me cheers okay we're up here in the uh, crew rest area on board the uh, C-17 and I'm here with Sergeant David Everett uh, Dave can you tell us a bit about your role with the C-17 certainly uh, I'm, I'm maintenance with the, with the C-17 I'm an aircraft technician uh, fixed engines and airframes uh, and also as, as a sergeant, I'm a, a maintenance manager, so I, uh, I just uh, ensure all the maintenance is complete, basically, and manage manage the, the maintenance crew. Manage the crew and manage people, so your job would be to delegate maintenance tasks to the lower ranks? Yep, absolutely. Every, every, uh, as you imagine, big aircraft needs a big servicing, needs refuel every time we stop anywhere, so we need to do a big inspection on the aircraft, make sure everything's good to go, uh, add fuel, and it's my job to manage all that and manage the crew doing it. And how long have you been working on the C-17? Uh, just over three years. 
this is uh, three years and two months on, on, on the C-17, so before that I was on Caribou's. Now you're on the Caribou, so um, you know that's we find a lot of people coming across on the Caribou. Obviously, vastly different technology coming from uh, that type of aircraft. So, how was the transition? It must have been quite a, a big learning curve for, for well for everybody. Initially, yeah, a very big learning curve. I'm, I'm used to Caribous where used to flick a switch and something would happen straight away, and and in this one you uh, you push a button and you're asking the computer whether you can turn something on. So, you know, it takes a bit to get used to. Uh, it's certainly size. Size is the big one. All the holes are nice and big to climb into. On a carabie, you're a bit of a contortionist and getting into some very tiny holes and, and getting your hands into very tiny spaces. So. And what about moving from the, uh, you know, obviously the radial engines on the carabie over to obviously working on the, you know, the, the turbine engines here? Yeah, uh, yeah certainly learnt a lot going from, uh, from radial engines to, to jet engines. You get your base training on jet engines, so you know a little bit about them, and then, and then when you come over here, you learn more specifics about how this engine works. Um, Reliability-wise, these engines are great. They, they very rarely break, you know, so it's very much just scheduled service things we do on them. We, we very much do not many on-condition type stuff. It's uh, it's mainly just uh, scheduled stuff, so. So you would have spent a fair bit of time with Boeing, I imagine, going through all sorts of training material and all that sort of thing? Uh, yeah, I did a, uh, a three-month training course over, over in America, actually, over in Seattle. So uh, we spent three months over there as maintenance and um, and go right through all the, all the different systems, how they all how they all work, and all the different components within the systems. So yeah, uh, you mentioned that the engines are uh, pretty reliable, and this uh, towards the end, I know the the booze it was getting pretty hard to service them. Uh, they'd throw a pot, things like that. Oh, yeah. So I uh, imagine you spent a bit of time up on the wing of the uh, boo working on those engines. Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. We used to forever doing an engine change on Caribous when we when we had them. Um, it's quite interesting. It used to be something like uh, about 1,400 hours or something you'd get out of the life on a, on a carabiner engine. So, you know, we used to probably do 10 a year at least. Uh, on these things, you get a much, much longer engine life. So, you know, you, you, I think they've done three engine changes so far, so it's a very, very small in comparison. Small number of hours, but uh, you'd uh, probably hurt yourself a heck of a lot more if you fell off the wing of this one while working on it within uh, on the caribou. Yeah, definitely, definitely. We are uh, climbing on top of a caribou. It used to be the old, we'd carry a screwdriver all the time in case you did fall you could stab the aircraft and, and slow yourself down but uh, on these ones on these ones there's actually a harness system all the way on top oh, okay. so we put a harness on and we uh we pop a little clip into each each hole as we're walking around and we've got two clips and you sort of leapfrog your way all around so it's got that that safety built into the aircraft right from the beginning you know so so they, they got a lot better at doing things over the years yeah, that's pretty interesting. I've actually been on the top of a C-17 through the, the hatch just here, and a very long time ago there weren't any harnesses, but it was oh. a very still night. <laughs> oh, OK, yeah. yeah. That harness system put, gives me a lot of confidence when I'm climbing around up there. Yeah, I would. Especially, uh, sometimes we'll climb right up on top of the tail. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's about 16 metres up or something, I think. So uh, that's uh, yeah. when you're walking around up there, you, you're very happy to have that harness on. Oh, yeah, especially... Uh, a nice little confidence reminder that if you did fall, yeah. you know, it's not going to be a, a very quick death to the bottom, so. <laughs> Especially with that going up through the little tunnel in the in the yeah. tail. Yep, yeah, nice little tunnel. Uh, I'm interested in the hydraulics and the, I guess the pneumatics that work around this aircraft. Can you tell us a bit about some of the systems there? I guess uh, it would take a fair amount of uh, technology to operate such a big heavy ramp that's obviously got a huge yep. capacity in itself. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it's very hydraulically dependent, this plane, when you look at it. It's a... Uh, but in saying that, it has 13 hydraulic pumps. There's, uh, there's pretty much two per engine, you know, and another four electrical auxiliary ones. Um, they all run off different systems. 
So every sort of flight control has two systems running any one flight control, so it has, it's got so much built-in redundancy. Yeah, that's the key, isn't it? Redundancy, system. I guess, redundancy. yeah. Yeah, you know, so many redundant systems that are, it's, it's, uh, it works really well. Now, do you find a lot of people sort of looking at your mastering? Do you find a lot of kids looking at, coming up and asking questions here at Avalon, for example, looking at doing your sort of work, doing maintenance? It's obviously very, very important because they wouldn't fly without you. That's exactly right. And they've gotten much better at that over the years too. They realise that maintenance is a, an integral component of operating aircraft. They, uh, in the early days, I think they, they didn't really design aircraft for maintenance as such. It was always designed for pilots, but not for maintenance. So now they've taken that into account. And, uh, yeah, I've had a few kids come up you know, requesting questions, particularly a lot of university students actually coming up and, and thinking about alternative designs and alternative methods and stuff of doing things. So, so that's nice to hear too. So, excellent. excellent. Yeah. So it's it's got quite a. You were talking before just about the hydraulic systems. Uh, it's two per engine, so yeah, quite a lot of a lot of uh, pressure. What pressure does it work at? It works at four thousand psi. Yeah, that's that's up there. <laughs> Yeah, that's going to squirt a long way if you break that one. Oh, certainly, certainly. Yeah, it doesn't take much for a little nut to be loose or something, and it'll, yeah, there'll be very high-pressure strain coming out of there. So, hydraulics are—it can be very dangerous, as you know. So, uh, yeah, but of course we take all the safety procedures and, and wear all the appropriate gear, and you know, and and, uh, and we do lots of inspections to make sure it's correct at the end of the day. So. And the other question relates to electrical systems. Uh, a lot of computer gear, everything like that. How is it for uh, generators, one per engine? There is one big one big generator per engine. There's also a big generator in the APU as well. So the APU provides electrical power, each engine provides electrical power. So uh, how far in advance do you generally fire up the APU before you get going? It varies. We, we use the APU on the ground if we don't have a power cut to supply external power or if we don't have an aircon cut to provide external air. We generally uh, generally I'll rock up in about half an hour before before the loadmasters do and we'll fire up the APU, fire up the jet so everything's humming along and buzzing and, and there's no faults. Then everybody arrives and, and that gives time for the, for the aircraft to cool down a little bit and everything to, to settle in. Have it nice for the uh, guys at the pointy end. That's it, that's it. It's always nice. The pilots like to turn up with a nice cool aircraft and, and you know, and all the, all the lights in the cockpit on and everything working properly. So, Meanwhile, you guys have been sweating down the back getting it ready. That's it. I used, to, I used to talk, the one thing I love about being a maintainer is you rock up and you see this big hunk of metal, you know, with nothing turned on, it's just a big hunk of metal. You know, and you unlock it, you know, we take the padlock off the door and we open it up and we step on side, we put power on and we fire it up into a working aircraft and then we take off somewhere, land somewhere else, do a big servicing on it, and at the end of the day, you, you shut it down and close it back up again, lock it away, and, and walk away. So, you know, you get to you get to see that whole transition from just a big hunk of metal, yeah, just a, a dark, you know, something in, in the in the morning shadows, fire it up, and we take off and off we go, and then, and then the same at the other end, back to nothing again. That's pretty good. Bring it to life. Bring it to life and putting it to bed each day. You know, it's a, that's something I think. I don't know if I was a pilot, I'd, I think I'd miss that. You know, you would you sort of rock up to a jet and it's already already buzzing along all the time and step off it and yeah. you don't get to see, you know, it come to life and go back to bed again. So just we finish up here, David, in your role as a sergeant now you're a supervisor, as you said, do you get to deploy away very often or are you sort of based here in Australia? I deploy quite often. As a supervisor, I sort of get away regularly. We aircraft always needs somebody to manage the maintenance yeah, yeah. when so they're away. So wherever the aircraft goes in the world, you know, you're not just stuck here, you can get away and get into the yeah. action if yeah, needs be. Yeah, definitely. Yep. definitely. And my time on, on C-17 so far, I've, I've been involved in a lot of uh, humanitarian assist type stuff uh, for the tsunami in Japan um, and over in Pakistan for the floods. Um, 
So yeah, and they're always very rewarding tasks as well. Yeah. You, know, you get to see exactly what the aircraft does and, and you're helping people. Yeah, and with an aircraft this big, it's a great PR for Australia. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, you know, every time we go somewhere, people come out to see it and they, they're always pleased to see and uh, you know, they, people love Australians everywhere. Well, David, it's a thrill for us to walk through here and uh, we appreciate you letting us spend some time on your aircraft. <laughs> certainly, certainly. Come anytime. No <laughs> the need the need for speed jet ride australia is a premier fighter experience in the country and the perfect gift for every budding top gun from mild to wild jet ride tailors each flight individually to give you the mind-blowing ride of your life to make your dream a reality check out jetride.com.au slash pcdu or aussies can call 1300 554 876 jet ride forget the rest fly with the best PCDU's Avalon 2013 series is brought to you by Avplan. Get more for your EFB. Avsoft.com.au Classic Flight Bag. For those who identify the sky as their office, grab your bag and go. ClassicFlightBag.com Sennheiser. Sennheiser S1 Digital. The quiet revolution in aviation headsets. World Flight Planner. Plan your flight like a pro and get worldwide coverage with World Flight Planner. WorldFlightPlanner.com Eco 2000 Zoc 27 Gas Turbine Cleaner, shaping the future of gas turbine washing. And Red Baron Adventures, redbaron.com.au. Plan your flight, fly your plan with Oz Runways. Oz Runways turns any iPad or iPhone into a full featured moving map GPS, complete with all the official Australian aviation charts. Oz Runways makes the task of creating and submitting a flight plan a breeze and can be a great tool for improving situational awareness en route. Annual subscriptions start at only $74.99, so get your copy today. For your free one-month trial, search for Oz Runways EFB in the iTunes store or visit ozrunways.com. Oz Runways. Know where you're going. G'day, this is Owen's Up. Just a quick note to let you know that my new ebook, 50 Tales of Flight, is now out on Amazon and iTunes. Find 50 Tales and my latest updates at owensup.com. In the meantime, sit back, relax, enjoy the show with Grant and Steve. Well, we're standing here in the C-17 with Warrant Officer Paul LaMarshall. Paul, well, this is big. Yeah, it certainly is. Uh, it's, it's a lot larger than anything we've had in the ADF before and uh, basically gives us a quantum leaping capability. So uh, now this is the newest C-17 of the six? Yeah, this is uh, number 11. Basically, we got it uh, late last year. Got it from Long Beach in California, and it's only just clocked over 200 hours. Right. So still got that new car smell. Yeah, definitely. It certainly does have a bit of a new car smell. Well, a new plane smell about it, I <laughs> guess. So uh, how long have you been involved with the C-17? Uh, I transferred over from C-130s last year in uh, May. Finished my training in the States. That was three and a half months over there. And come back and been on them ever since. You spent quite a bit of time on the C-130. You would have done the H and the J. Yeah, actually started off on E's, H's and J's. So, yep, did the trifecta. Yeah. So what can you tell me about, uh, aside from the obvious, that this is bigger, fl- flies higher, does the uh, heavier loads further, how do you find the difference? It's uh, the whole back end of the aircraft is designed by people who really knew what they were doing as far as loading uh, aircraft. We have an inbuilt winch. Uh, I've actually got a comfortable seat for a change. Um, and just the ease of operation, one of the biggest things is the flip over rollers. Uh, it saves your back. There's a lot, of, uh, a lot of lifting, a lot of pushing, that sort of stuff. But with these, it's, uh, this, the actual loading of them is a lot simpler. 
What sort of work do you find compared to the Hercules? You, what's obviously a slightly different role or just more of the same in greater volumes? Um, the Hercules is a tactical airlifter, whereas uh, this thing's more of a strategic lift. So if we want to get a whole bunch of stuff uh, a long way in a hurry, this is the aircraft we'll use. So if, say, for an operation, we would use this to transport a whole bunch of stuff into an area and then use the Herx just basically to feed it out. And the sling seat's in the sides here. Now, I've just not long ago been for a ride on a Hercules, so I, I, I consider myself an expert, but uh, these sling seats obviously look a lot more comfortable and uh, it's obviously been designed with a bit of uh, comfort in mind for, for long-distance travel. Uh, every seat's first class on these things. Um, <laughs> yeah, pretty much, uh, yeah, the old Herx have, uh, have all the webbing sort of seats, but... As you can see along here, we can fit actually up to 102 passengers. All the seats along the sidewall here fold down, and um, up in the tail, we store a, a bunch of seat modules, and we'll put them along the centre of the aircraft. That gives us a capacity of 102 people. Now, you mentioned modules. Uh, I understand there's quite a few modules that can go in this, uh, from em medical emergency evacuation through to uh, load support. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, you see on the walls here, we've got... Um, different sorts of brackets. What they are, they're for AME equipment. So the medical teams will come on and they'll actually rig the load or rig the, the AME setup. Uh, we've got oxygen for the passengers. Uh, pretty much we can turn this into a flying hospital. Um, we've got one set up down the back. Uh, you'll probably have a look at later. Uh, all sorts of stuff. Basically, yeah, AME, um, humanitarian relief. We can turn this in from, we can flat floor at the moment so we can load vehicles. Um, as you can see here, we've got rollers. So what happens is here, if suddenly we rock up somewhere and we've got a whole bunch of packs, we'll put the seats down, we'll get rid of the packs, now they've got a whole bunch of vehicles. So what we need is a flat floor. So all we do is we go along, pick up this here, and just lift it over. It actually flicks into place like that. Wow. So you can see that you can basically transfer the whole aircraft from fully palletised to a flat floor for loading vehicles you know, in, in around about five minutes. That's pretty fantastic. On, on a C-130, um, it takes you probably 15 to 20 minutes because you actually have to manually unlock all the rollers and then you have to find some place to store them. Store. With these, you just flip them over and you've got the, the floor there ready to go. There we go, ready for pallets. We slide them in and we just lock them in using these um, controls on the side wall here. We power those up and that will lock the pallets in and hold them in position. Okay, so those, and the equal, load equalisation valves, what do they do? That's, uh, that's mainly for airdrop. So what we do is after we start throwing stuff out of the back of the aeroplane, that's to control all, all the locks, restraints and all that sort of gear. That's a whole other sort of training course you have to go and do. At the moment, we're sort of, we're doing limited airdrop because it's still basically a new aeroplane. So we're still trying to figure out, you know, how things work, or I am anyway, yeah. It's not quite just chuck it out the back and hope? No, it's not, no. There's a whole lot of stuff goes into developing that sort of capability. Uh, can you explain these marks along the side here, obviously, for weight and balance? Yeah, pretty much. Um, you see them along there. They're actually in 10-inch increments. Um, so what happens is there's a, a point at the nose where it's called a datum point, and what they do is they use all measurements from that particular point. So you can see here that there is 570, 580, 590. So that's 570 inches from that particular point. So we use that for weight and balance. So what we'll do is sit there, multiply um, 
the amount of weight we've got at that particular position. And that will give us an arm and a moment, and that way we can work out the weight and balance. We'll then go up and plug that into a computer that uh, prints off a little piece of paper, tells us what our centre of gravity is, and we go up, the pilot signs it, and away to go. Make sure it's within limits, and uh, can, I imagine they can trim things to help out yes, for that. Exactly. So if we obviously if we've got too much weight up front, um, it's just like a big seesaw. So if you've got too much weight up one end, you just move it closer to the centre, or move it, put a bit more weight down the back to balance it up. Get some of the heavy folks like us to sit down the back. I can, yeah, I'll, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> this one is my size aircraft, this one, I can tell you right now, Grant. Steve's been building towards this one. He had the C-130H farewell ride. He's had the KC-30 media ride. Uh, I think we're angling for a C-17 and put him in the lap of luxury in the back here. Yeah, seems to me like he wants to be in the Air Force. <laughs> well, I'm just interested in the halo oxygen. Is that a high altitude, low opening? Yep. Yeah, basically that's, for, uh, that's a capability um, for the Special Forces guys. Everybody sees it on you know, movies like Transformers and all that sort of stuff where the guys will jump up the back and pretty much they'll jump out the back with oxygen on. What will happen is we'll fly around until we actually reach the drop zone uh, with the back open, so we're obviously depressurised. People need to be on oxygen. They'll plug into that sort of system and then uh, a couple of minutes before they're ready to jump, they'll switch over onto their own personal supply. Don't don't waste your own personal. Then. No, no, we're not oxygen thieves, no. Okay, and I know you've got a, a, quite a number of uh, tie-down straps and uh, the, these look like uh, pretty intense uh, screw jacks. Yeah, pretty much uh, all of these points on the floor here are all rated to 25,000 pound. And you see these big things here. They're, uh, they're 25,000 pound tight end devices. So what happens if we've got something in the aircraft that's actually, uh, that weighs say 20,000 pounds, what we calculate is the restraint required is we need 3G forward. So we actually have to restrain it to up to 60,000 pounds. So what we do then is we sit down, we work out, okay, 60,000 pounds, we need, you know, how many of those 25,000 pound devices are we gonna need working on angles and sort of things like that. And, and that'll, that's how we sort of figure that out. Now, uh, I understand you've got quite a different mission profile here from uh, what you used to have in the C-130. Yes, C-130 was, uh, or the tactical side of it was predominantly low level, uh, a lot of night vision goggles ops and um, throwing, uh, not throwing, airdrop, uh, paratrooping, all that sort of stuff. Uh, whereas this is basically a strategic airlifter. As I said, if you want to move a whole lot of stuff in a hurry to, to faraway places, it's uh, basically airliner profile, so straight up, straight across, straight down. And because they're such a national asset, it's pretty much straight back again. <laughs> Very well controlled. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah they, they certainly keep a tight rein on these, as they do with all our aircraft, because these are the newest and greatest. The, the big thing about these is they're a very good PR tool. Um, things like the Christchurch earth, earthquakes, the Japanese tsunami. We can be anywhere in the world within 24 hours. We were there. Basically, people look at it and go, hey, the Australians are here giving us a hand. So it's, it's good PR for us. It's good PR for the government. But it it's also shows other people that you know, we actually care about what we do and we care about helping others. Now, uh, with the uh, obviously the reduction in size of the C-130H uh, force, do you find many loadmasters trying to get remastered over here onto the C-17s? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, also, we've got the uh, the C-27, so they're looking at crewing those as well. Pretty much the C-17 loadmaster fraternity is made up of ab initio guys, so straight off course, and a mixture of um, some guys who are, are like myself, which is the retreads. So we'll come back in and... Uh, or We'll come back off a ground job and then transfer over to, to C-17s. Or we go back to C-130s. It's just uh, whatever's requirement at the time. You can put your, your wish list in. You may get it, you may not. Uh, that's part of the life in the military. Are you able to, uh, I know you've got a lot of gear up there, but are you allowed to uh, talk to us about your comfy seat and uh, what you can do up there? Yeah, yeah the, one good, the one thing I'll say about this over the C-130 is uh, I've got a comfy seat and a flushing toilet. 
Uh, so yeah, I'm living the dream. <laughs> yeah, I, I've heard the, about the horror stories about the toilets on C- C-130s. Uh, yeah, what happens on C-130s stays on C-130s. <laughs> okay, Paul, so uh, we're here at your uh, rather comfy chair and uh, pretty complex looking station. What is it you're able to do from here? Pretty much from here, I can control all the lighting. Um, all of these guarded switches here are for the airdrop side of the house that uh, I was talking about before. Um, basically, I can operate the ramp and door from here, uh, so I can open that. Um, along here, all of those little electronic locks that I was telling you about, as we put the pallets in position and actually lock them in, I control that all from this this particular console here. Uh, radios, make radio calls as well. Um, up here, got all the lighting. Uh, here, basically, we've got all our warning lights, so if for some reason we have, uh, say, a, a door warning light or something, it'll flash up on there. So pretty much all along here you've got basically these are our smoke detectors. Um, back here you've got the oxygen system for all the passengers and all that sort of stuff and my oxygen system as well and a whole bunch of circuit breakers. This here, this is the computer for the weight and balance. So what we'll do is after we work out where everything's stored and how much it weighs, we'll come along, punch it all into here and it'll spit out a little bit of paper and tell us exactly what, what sort of where the aircraft is regards weight and balance. Definitely a comfy and a lot of lot of power here, and I, I like how you can uh, you know sort of like yeah yeah passenger oxygen, but mine's important. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. Also control the heating, so if people start getting a little bit lippy or something, it's just, it always gets a little bit cooler. <laughs> <laughs> or turn it right up and they go to sleep. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It can either be very hot or very cold. Yeah, just like the uh, flight engineers uh, station on the old aircraft. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Can we have a bit more heat down the back? Yeah, sure. And he hasn't even touched it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the, uh, the God console. Exactly. <laughs> so about how much time would you spend here on a typical mission? Um, pretty much this is my, my crew station, so uh, apart from getting up, making a cup of coffee or, or making a meal, um, pretty much this is where I spend my time. So I may be here uh, up to 10 hours. So, yeah, it's nice to have a comfy seat for a change. <laughs> very nice. Paul, thank you very much for coming on the show. Really appreciate your time. Cheers. Thanks for having us. Captain Brian Caron, welcome to Plane Crazy Down Under. Well, thanks a lot for having us. Uh, we definitely appreciate being down here. Everybody's just been wonderful hosts so far. Uh, we've absolutely loved uh, watching you guys throw the aircraft around the sky like a uh, rather large and tubby fighter. So uh, quite impressive to see an aircraft this big doing what it does. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the demonstration. As I understand, the uh, RAF gentlemen will be, uh, and ladies, the RAF crew in a little bit will be doing a demonstration of their own, but I hope everybody enjoyed ours. Yeah, they uh, pretty much did seem to be, judging by the number of people who went, wow. Yeah, it's a great chance for us to kind of showcase some of the capabilities of the aircraft. Uh, some of the things that we do are similar to what allows this aircraft to really perform in austere places around the world. So it's a good chance for us to kind of demonstrate that to the public. Excellent. Now, uh, Captain, the main reason we're up here is um, we've, we've spoken to the RAF guys about their C-17 and how much fun they're having with it. And our C-17s are very much uh, standard, very similar to yours, off the same, pretty much identical, I believe it is. Now, uh, our crews work a lot with you folks. Uh, let's chat about interoperability. Sure. Uh, well, there, there's a lot to chat about. As you mentioned, we do share the, almost the same exact aircraft. Yours are, as a matter of fact, a little bit more uh, new than ours are. Uh, but we see a lot of RAF presence at a lot of our joint exercises that I can mention in a few minutes. Uh, we do air shows like this where we've seen your guys and gals a lot, as well as uh, in operations in theater. We see those guys, uh, our squadron. We have a particular special story because uh, we have an exchange program. We did, uh, as a matter of fact, a 
couple of RAF crew members, pilot and loadmaster, embedded in our squadron for a while, flying with us. Oh, wow. And uh, currently there's an American fellow down flying in Australia as part of an exchange program. So there's a, there's a lot to talk about as far as the interoperability and a lot of the joint presence that we have. Yeah, that's pretty amazing. Uh, I've been told that apparently the first time that an Australian military and U.S. military group combined uh, working and sharing information about an aircraft was apparently back in the 1920s. So it sounds like you guys are building on quite a heritage of information. So uh, what's the uh, purpose of the uh, embedding a, an American with the Australians and vice versa? Well, it helps with those uh, the interoperability aspect. When we have somebody embedded, it helps communicate some of those similarities and differences. So when we go into operations or if we're doing exercises, or things of this nature, then we already have a good presence there, so it's just a good baseline for that. And you're sharing uh, good ideas and sharing information and um, helping each other out with what you've learned about the aircraft, yeah? Absolutely, and we have a lot of similar interests, and we have a lot of similar interests in the region, so that's just a really good baseline for that. So what are some of the stories you got for us? As far as uh, showcasing the interoperability aspect? Yeah. Okay, well, I've, uh, I've seen your guys uh, all over operations, in theater, all over in the Middle East. Uh, I've seen your guys at operation, or excuse me, exercises like Kiwi Flag. Uh, Talisman Saber is a big one that's hosted down here every year that we have a good presence at. The various COPE exercises, Red Flag, uh, the list goes on. And then as well as all the air shows. We see you guys, it seems like it's just about all the air shows as well. So uh, I, I haven't flown personally with another Australian in the aircraft before, uh, but we do have some that have with our exchanges. So uh, have our boys and girls uh done well in comparison, not just in the flying, but also in the uh, non-flying social scenes? Oh, outstanding. Like I said, hands down, the best, the finest hosts. Uh, we absolutely love being down here. Uh, both on the military side, civilian side, everybody down here has just been absolutely wonderful. How'd you get to where you are at the moment? Uh, what was your career path to get to here in the, uh, in the USAF? Uh, my story goes back quite a few years. I've known I wanted to fly since I was about, about this tall. Uh, so it's kind of a path since then, going through high school, still knowing, and then going to college, knowing that I would hopefully be able to commission and hopefully go to pilot training, and it panned out. And then a couple of assignments later, we're flying out of Hawaii, and here we are in beautiful Australia down under, flying in an air show. Now, I noticed you called it Hawaii, uh, with a little stop there. Uh, is, that the, is that given as the correct way to pronounce it? Well, granted, I've only lived there for a couple years, so I'm uh, definitely not a local. Uh, I've, I've heard it pronounced a few different ways, so <laughs> I don't want to get too far into that. Uh, <laughs> My wife and I have only lived there for a couple of years now. Uh, most of the folks I know from there have always said Hawaii. <laughs> uh, where to for yourself? Uh, you've been with the C-17 for a while. Uh, where do you see it going from here? Uh, well, I actually just have a new assignment going up to the northeast of the United States, flying C-17s again. Uh, I, I hope to stay around this community. It's a great community. Uh, it's excellent, excellent flying this aircraft. The capabilities make it such a fun and exciting aircraft to fly. Uh, you know, top of the line training. It's a blast. I'd like to I'd like to stay doing this as long as possible. Now here in the cockpit, we of course noticed that it doesn't have the normal yoke. Now the Aussies were were pretty happy to have that stick and uh, really enjoyed the fact that they could uh, pretty much throw it around a bit like a fighter. Uh, how do you find with the stick as opposed to a yoke? Uh, well, having flown different types of aircraft, I can attest to the fact that this is a very maneuverable aircraft for being the size that it is. It's partially because of a uh, it's similar to a fly-by-wire flight control system. And so the way this designs, it's another one of those uh, it's another one of those aspects that allow us to do certain maneuvers to allow certain phases of flight that other large aircraft don't have. So as you hopefully saw in the demonstration, it is a pretty nimble bird and we can really get around when uh, when we need to and hats off to the designers of the aircraft. It makes it very easy, very capable. So uh, any other stories of interoperability like how do you do you guys train together at all? Uh, as a matter of fact, we do. Uh, our initial qualification schoolhouse in the states, the RAF guys and gals actually train there along with us. So we actually go through the same initial qualification schoolhouse. 
And thus the bond is formed. And thus the bond is formed, that's right. <laughs> well, I would like to say uh, thanks again to the Australian hosts. Everybody down here has been absolutely amazing. I've spent time down in the country before, first time to the Melbourne area. And we all just want to say thank you so much for all the hospitality down here. It's been great. Excellent. Captain Brian Karen, thank you so much for coming on the show and having a chat with us. Thanks you so much for having us. Appreciate it, Grant. Well, there you go, Grant. Uh, what a fantastic aircraft. I tell you what, uh, as much as I like the Hercules, I reckon I could very easily fall in love with these aircraft too. They, they're really amazing machines. Mate, if it's got a C in the title, you're really in love with it, aren't you? Absolutely. And uh, an aircraft that big, it could even lift me off the ground. So it must be oh, fairly impressive. Mate, that's that's, that's got to be your kind of aircraft. Absolutely. Now, folks, uh, in addition to those, you may have noticed the uh, different types of intros we did on some of those. Of course, uh, we actually recorded some video of those, and that'll be coming out in due course. Uh, if you've been following our YouTube channel or perhaps even on our website, uh, you'll notice we've done uh, quite a lot of video work, and uh, our video guy, Stephen Pam, is uh, doing a great job in getting those out as uh, quickly as he can, and uh, we've, uh, we've got some fantastic uh, C-17 video footage coming very shortly for you as well. As soon as we can uh, find ways to clear Stephen's decks of uh, other work and um, convince him that he doesn't have to pay the rent, I'm sure we'll get them out faster. And we'd like to thank uh, all of you who've uh, taken the time to uh, send in some messages of appreciation for the Avalon series. We uh, really appreciate that and uh, it's a pleasure to bring it all to you and uh, i tell you what, when we get such fantastic feedback and uh, boy Grant, there's been tons of it, uh, that really inspires us to keep going on and uh, getting uh, more of that kind of content for you. Grant, I think we're going to have to set our sights on the next lot of air shows. What do you think? Maybe maybe Oshkosh? Who knows? Maybe the Moscow air show, I think? Yeah, well, you know, there's always Farnborough or Le Bourget. Uh, but honestly, how about a bit closer to home? I, I wish I could get over to Wings Over Wanaka next year, or I'll be happy just to get through all the content here and um, dream of, of other shows that we could get to. That'd be nice. Yeah, it certainly would be nice, mate. Now, uh, we've got still plenty of interviews that we recorded there at Avalon 2013 that we'd still like to put out. Of course, uh, we spent quite a bit of time going around the uh, KC-30A, so uh, we're uh, hoping to put that into some uh, upcoming episodes. But as we promised, Grant, I think it's probably time we got back into the usual routine and uh, back to some of our normal shows. That's right. We'll see if we can't start uh, bringing other non-Avalon content into the stream. And uh, like we did last time, uh, we we had some general episodes coming out and they might have a, a bit of Avalon content tacked in at the first or second half or in the latter third or things like that so we'll, we'll see what we can do for you. Thanks once again to the uh, C-17 crews there from the Royal Australian Air Force and the United States Air Force. Very much appreciated and some fantastic content there for our audience. Now I should mention there that uh, you know looking at these aircraft is one thing and uh, talking to the pilots a really cool thing for us but uh, for some of our younger listeners well you might consider that a, a career on board these aircraft might be for you. Why don't you head over to defencejobs.gov.au or phone 13 1901. Well, that wraps up the show. Thanks very much for listening, and as always, we hope you enjoyed it. And uh, as we start looking around the world for the next great air show to cover, Grant, well, I reckon it'll always be worth keeping this one important thing in mind. It's what's down under that counts. You have been listening to Plane Crazy Down Under's Avalon 2013 series. Look for our video coverage on our YouTube channel, YouTube slash Plane Crazy Down Under, and follow all the Avalon action on Twitter at the hashtag Avalon13. Contact us anytime with feedback, suggestions or advertising inquiries at planecrazydownunder at gmail.com. Playing Crazy Down Under is a Southern Skies online media podcast. It seems to me like he wants to be in the Air Force. <laughs> I did want to be in the Air Force. They wouldn't let me in. <laughs> they asked me to take my glasses off and read the sign on that wall. I said, what wall? What wall? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm just interested in... 
Well, folks, I'm here with Captain Brian Karen, and uh, we're uh, outside the uh, C-17 from Hawaii, and we're about to go inside and have a chat where it's a little cooler and a little quieter up on the flight deck. And we wanted to say aloha for Zaola, straight from Oahu. Welcome aboard the C-17. Hey, baby, come on down.